everybody. Welcome to another edition and Channing Insights with Lala. Hello, Nicole. Hello, Susan. Welcome, everybody, and Science Bob. Hope everybody's having a great edition here. Good night. So I just want to give a shout out. We are brought on a new channel from Japan. We're also uh, we're getting some feedback here. Uh, we're getting some feedback from somewhere. I don't know where that's coming from. Oh uh, my. Yeah, I think so. But uh, we're also broadcasting from UK. Let me see here. Broadcasting from UK too. Hello, Joe Diamond, Roger Blair, Nicole. Alexander, Cliff Jones, Bullamine, Roger, welcome everybody. Uh, I got you uh, uh, muted there, La La. So we got a nice little lineup here tonight. Let me see if La La's got that fixed. All right, La La, let's see here. Do we get you fixed? Now try. Hi, Xander. I love you. <laughs> so what we got cooking tonight? We have a bunch of really awesome people that are coming on and i think they're the top most interesting people i've met well, a let's couple bring of them, them on yeah. yeah so we got jim welcome deborah robert welcome and we got john welcome to the show <laughs> ladies and gentlemen How is hi everybody? everybody hi hello welcome do you guys want to go around and kind of introduce yourselves and anything you might have going on? Well, I'm, I, those of you who don't recognize my face, I'm Jim Goodall. Uh, I, uh, I'm a friend of most everybody in this community, but I, uh, I haven't been on I haven't been on your program yet. This is my first time, and I, I live here in Arizona. I'm a published author. I have 29 books in print. Wow! I'm working on number 30. I hated I hated term papers in school, so that's that's what I do. I write, and uh, my area of expertise is Area 51. I've been a friend of Bob Lazar's before he went to work out in the desert, and uh, John Lear was a very dear friend of mine for almost 50 years, and uh, and I have you know friends like you know, like the guy right there in the middle on the bottom, Robert Bauer. I mean, he's just. Uh, we can, we connect on, at every frequency. It's just a lot of fun. But I'm uh, I'm delighted to be here, and I'll uh, jump in anytime you need me. All right, John, well, it's going to be you. Welcome, everybody. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead, John. Me? Yep. Yes, sir. All right. My name's John Carpenter. Uh, I have worked as a psychiatric therapist uh, uh, for over 40 years. Um I uh, did UFO research since 1988, and I was MUFON's director of abduction research for 10 years and uh, kind of known as one of the top hypnotherapists in the country during the 90s. And uh, then I got into uh, researching spiritual miracles and near-death experiences and all sorts of things, paranormal. And I've written uh, actually five books in the last uh, eight years. That's crazy. <laughs> wow. So, glad yeah. to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Robert. Greetings, everyone. Thanks for having me on uh, with all these esteemed panelists. Um, let's see if I summarize me uh, 50 years in music, 40 years in technology, 
30 years in philosophy and metaphysics and 20 years as a uh, independent content creator doing voiceover and music production and all that kind of stuff. Started my own podcast about four years ago. And um, ever since then, I've been a guest and as well as hosting podcasts on a wide variety of extremely eclectic subjects, uh, everything from sound and music to science and philosophy and everything in between. And I, I've just found myself as a um, one who has an insatiable curiosity and an overly fertilized field of imagination. So uh, that takes me into a whole bunch of places that sometimes I know where I'm going, other times I don't. And especially when I'm on with Jim, <laughs> Jim and I have a propensity, as he mentioned, to uh, wander in the wonder. And uh, we go nonstop and it's awesome. So yeah, looking is. forward to tonight. Thank you. Awesome. Deborah. Well, hello, everybody. <clears throat> My name's Deborah Jordan Cobble, but anybody in the field of ufology might know me better as Kathy Davis from Bud Hopkins' book Intruders. Um, that I was the, uh, me and my experience and my family were the central figures in that book. Uh, I've known John Carpenter for probably, what, 30 years now? Hi, oh, John. yeah. Hey, yeah, it's good to see you. <laughs> so I've had a lifetime of experiences, um, starting with the, UFO stuff and then paranormal stuff and then the paranormal stuff ramped up after June 30th, 83. <laughs> and um, I've uh, written a couple of books about my life going forward from intruders and how it's unfolded and the changes that have happened in me physically and, and mentally and spiritually even. Um, and I was a MUFON investigator here in Indiana for many, several years in the 90s. And then I uh, started to get pulled to the paranormal side. And I uh, first joined a paranormal group in Indianapolis. And then uh, my buddy Greg and I uh, started our own paranormal research group. And I got very interested in um, electronic voice phenomenon, got some really good EVPs. They, I'm the antenna. <laughs> for, but, and, um, then my buddy Greg and I, we started uh, Midwest Paratalk Radio, and we did that for uh, many years. And uh, we recently just resurrected it after about seven or eight years. And I'm also a co-host now on uh, Voices of Contact on Facebook blog with uh, Michael Carter and Mary Bassett and Deb and uh, RJ DeRouse. And... Um, I also moderate the Facebook Zero uh, Experiencers uh, page. It's a private page for people that in the Midwest that have had these experiences and don't have anyone to talk to. It's a place, it's a private place where they can talk about their experiences without judgment. And um, so I, I'm staying busy. I retired from General Motors after um, 15 years, and it seems like I hit the deck running. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> retirement's been great. So anyways, awesome. here I am. Thanks Very for cool. inviting me. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I, I, re, I retired in 2013. I think I'm busier now than I was when I worked full time 
And I, and I left a very beautiful place. I was a curator at the Pacific Aviation Museum in Pearl Harbor for four years. Oh, wow. But the island started getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And <laughs> uh, it was time to leave. But I still, it's the only place I've ever lived that I, re, I, I miss, still miss today. But I live in a beautiful part of Arizona. I live just north of Tucson, one of their suburbs. Uh, the only negative, uh, Sunday, it was 111 degrees. Oh, my God. <laughs> too much yeah, for me. Right. I don't do hot well. <laughs> hey, but it's not humid. And That's had, the thing, yeah. I went on a 5,200-mile uh, road trip uh, starting, uh, was it August 14th? And every place I went, I went from here to Austin, Texas, to Dallas, to Memphis, to Dayton, Ohio, to Minneapolis, and home. Or, you know, Farmington and then home. And the weather was, was absolutely beautiful. The entire way, no humidity. I went to the Minnesota State Fair, which I love to go. I mean, they get 250,000 people a day or 220,000 people a day. And I, it was cold. I mean, it was, it was in the 70s and, I, and no humidity. I had to wear my son's uh, flannel shirt so I didn't freeze to death. So, but I love it here. I love it in Hawaii. And I'm really delighted to be on this program with Lala and thank Grizzly. You. Yeah, it's just. Um, oh, thank you. I I, en I thoroughly enjoy everybody I have met in this community. And there's only, no. and there's, and there's only one person that I, I don't have time for. I think we all know who, I won't mention his name. But other than that, he's the, he's the only real ne you know, negative or less than positive that I've seen, you know, you know, met here in this community. And I had nothing to do with it either until uh, March of 2019. I went to see uh, uh, my friend Michael Schratt, who I've known for about 25 years. And he said, well, I'm going to be at a MUFON thing in Phoenix. So I drove up to Phoenix and I... And there was a program going on, and I walked into the vendor's room, and there was just almost nobody there. And one of them turned out to be Doc Skinner. And I introduced myself. I said, man, I didn't see your name on the, on the, men, on the uh, program. I said, I didn't know I was coming here till this morning. <laughs> so, uh, and the rest is history. I mean, it's, one thing, it's led one thing to another. And I have a sordid past, and I've, you know, I've done a lot of crazy things in my life. The thing behind me, you can only see part of it. That's one of my crazy things. I scrounged that airplane. And I scrounged two C-5 transports to move it at no cost to me, other than a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. So, But I'm delighted to be here and, and, and a great group of people. So uh, we're off and running. Next. That's awesome. I, yeah. I have a question for everybody. Um, what is the most interesting or freaky experience you've ever had, either paranormal or aliens or anything like that? I'll go first. <laughs> Seems <laughs> like I have, I, I have the floor. Probably the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me <laughs> is I've, I've had visions of, some, of something that's going to happen in the future. And I've had multiple all, all my life, not constantly, but... Every once in a while, something will will, uh, will hit me. And for seven years, I told my first wife, you know, I'm going to be in San Francisco during a major earthquake. Now, I grew up in the Bay Area. I grew up in the Mountain View, Los Alamos area. And I, but I have, and I have friends down there and I have you know, family over in the East Bay. 
So they probably wouldn't stay in San Francisco. I was there in a convention for the Lama Prieta earthquake. Then I had another one which was so outrageous I couldn't I didn't tell anybody until it happened. And I still get I still get goosebumps. For 10 years, I had a vision of wide-bodied airplanes crashing into the World Trade Center. Oh. That freaked me out. And I've had another recurring one that hasn't happened yet. And I'm almost as much as I love the Pacific Northwest, I'm almost afraid to go there because my dreams or my visions, whatever they you know, they are. Uh, I'm going to be there when the when the Cascadia subduction zone decides to rip, mm-hmm. and the University of Washington geologists and volcanologists said that if the entire Cascadia subduction zone goes and it's 800 miles long, it's going to be a 10 on the Richter scale for 10 minutes with vertical movements of 35 to 45 feet, depending on where you're at. If you're mm-hmm. on Phil anywhere on the West Coast, you're going to have water in your basement. Mm-hmm. Everything is a liquefy. So that is, you know, that is probably the, the strangest things that have happened to me, probably other than some of my friends I've met <laughs> in my life. So, <laughs> but I, I am I am blessed to have some of the most incredible uh, friends and associates a guy could ever ask for. And I'm looking at a bunch of them right here. So uh, uh, thank you for inviting me and I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> thank you. Whoever wants to go next is fine. I had uh, two little things that happened. Uh, one was uh, I was at a friend's house and uh, her husband had died recently and mm. I was helping her put something together and there was this uh, old mantle clock that was, uh, it, it might as well have been in storage because it was broken, had parts missing and cobwebs inside. And so I was working on something, I suddenly heard it chiming perfectly <laughs> playing its tune. And I, I almost missed it because I thought, oh, that's pretty. And I thought, wait a minute, that doesn't work. And so I jumped up, ran over to it, and sure enough, I could hear the vibration still in the air. And I turned around, look at the back of it, and you know, it's parts missing, cobwebs. There's no oh way God. it could play. And in fact, it never had ever played for her or since that time. So uh, that was a nice firsthand little experience. The other one, which I know Deb can relate to, is when I did my very first abduction hypnosis session, and is with a actually probably about a 15 year old, and uh, she was a uh, relaxing and all of a sudden she sees the big black eyes staring in her face and she shrieked and and it went right through me i just this wasn't any book this was not any movie this was live right in front of me i could feel her terror and i could feel her excitement and 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 trauma and i'll never forget that in fact i couldn't even sleep that night it was just so intense and i knew this is definitely real. Wow. You can relate to that, that I know. <laughs> now, Science Bob says, John, can you estimate how many people you have counseled who have NDES and surprised how you were, or how many saw heaven, Jesus, in God's city? Oh, sure. In fact, that's my third book. Uh, um, 
called The Intense Reality of Eternity. You can find it on Amazon. And I pulled from over 54 books and resources and hundreds and hundreds of worldwide encounters. And uh, uh, my own clients included, um, almost every week, someone will tell me a spiritual story. In fact, I'll tell you when it just happened. A lady, her son had died. He was in his 30s, and he had died in the last uh, year. It's the fact. Thank you for always on us. Yeah. I don't know if he can hear us. We're. Oh, thank you. Are you there? Can you hear us? And he's gone. And we'll go to the next one. There we go. <laughs> All right, Robert. Um, I've had little uh, bizarre kind of experiences throughout my life, but I have never had anything that was incredibly intense. Um, apparitions, ghosts, uh, spirits, voices. I hear my voice more than Hello? I hear anything else. <laughs> Hello. Can you hear Hello? me? Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Looks we like hear John's you, John. back. I was abducted for a minute. <laughs> 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 I have talking about paranormal. That was weird. I did nothing and it just took me out. Oh, well, weird well, stuff happens on here all the time. It really does. Yeah. Well, Okay, so just to finish that story, I don't know what y'all heard, but the smoke alarms were going off in her house and acting weird. She'd go right up to one, and when she would and stare at it, it would stop. She'd leave the room, it would start up again. And I thought, you know, her husband checked the batteries, everything was fine, and it still kept acting up. It was really weird. So I told her, I said, ask your son, if that's you, make it all stop. So she went home. And when they started acting up, she goes, son, if that's you, stop it. And they all stopped. Aww. And they never did it again. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That just happens. So my clients tell me stuff all the time. <laughs> that's interesting. Well, thank you, sir. We'll come right back to you. All right, Robert. You sound like me, right? You, you, you hear yourself more than you hear other people. Yeah, I mean, the... Um... The activity in my mind uh, and the conversations, Every anytime I need expert advice, I always counsel myself. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, the, the, probably the most profound things that I've experienced, I was involved in, um, I had a Christian ministry back in the uh, early 80s in Southern California where I was born and raised. And I was with a Pentecostal church, so we did all of the uh, the real crazy stuff, the speaking in tongues, laying hands on the sick, and casting out devils and demons and all of that. And I saw some pretty bizarre stuff back then. Um, but as I continued my exploration of theology and philosophy and tried to make sense. I've always been trying to find something that described my experience. So um, I use that as a filter to vet the belief systems and so forth that I've explored. And um, what I was told was going on in that Pentecostal realm 
And what I found later on is I, what I felt is a more accurate and complete uh, definitions or descriptions. I found through more Eastern based philosophies, which led me to becoming uh, a, a follower of uh, of the Tao or a Taoist and, and Taoism in the mid nineties. Um, so those things I, you know, I kind of see is, uh, I look at the world as more metaphysics than physics. I think that our physics and our science is uh, quite hampered by the me mechanistic materialism view that all of our sciences and world views are currently filtered through in, in that framework. Um, I uh, have adopted the essentially kind of the hermetic principles and primarily the first one being that consciousness is the reason for everything. Uh, it is the reason of our reality. But as you dive deep into that, I think that the <clears throat> consciousness, one of its habits or its nature is energy and the habits and nature of energy is frequencies. And that to me explains all of the reality and all of the, whether you call it paranormal, which to me, para is the wrong word. It's just, um, it's accentuated normal. Uh, it is not outside of normal, but mm -hmm. I think that word has been adopted for a lot of reasons for a long time. And um, that's another, uh, Bob, <laughs> the science guy and I were exchanging some messages about semiotics and uh, that's the study of symbols and language and words and it's very uh, interesting and important in my current quest because i i have my own philosophy that i've called informatica um, which is that everything that we experience is information and that information comes in all shapes and sizes and forms and and frequencies and i think that apparitions uh, ghosts uh, dimensional beings um, all the different levels of what is contained currently in the paranormal box are all just expressions of that of those frequencies. I think that we don't understand it. Over a hundred years ago, guys like Keeley and Tesla and Walter Russell and Schauberger and, and a number of great thinkers, um, I think we're onto this and they they understood it. But I think the profundity of that reality is so powerful that what they did is they had to contain that and squish that because if that information became general knowledge, um, then the expression of the full experience of being a human or being a spiritual being having a uh, material experience would just blow everybody, would blow all of those who were trying to control out of their control seats. They would lose their little game controllers um, because that expression of what we are in reality is extremely powerful. I think the ancients knew this. This goes back to a, a lot of the ancient wisdom that uh, seems to be coming through a number of incredible uh, individuals. Edgar Casey, I think, is one that is not appreciated as much as he should be, um, and others who have what I what I classify as non-local consciousness. And um, Jim and I were talking a little bit earlier before we started the show about the remote viewing project that was just done on Bob Lazar by a group of very talented remote viewers. 
remote viewing is nothing more than non-local conscious. It transcends space and time. And, and it's freaky. It's extremely <laughs> freaky, especially when you get the results that you get and the consistency that they have. So a uh, long way going around it, the uh, as Dr. Farrell calls it, a long way around Harvey's barn, um, consciousness to me is where it's at. It's where all the magic is. It's where all the mystery is. Um, and the non-local aspects of consciousness is something that is just extremely profound. So probably the most uh, intense experience I've had in that is being able to manifest things. Oh, wow. Um, and thinking, you know, having the concept in, in the mind and then being able to see it unfold. Mm -hmm. um, that is the most profound experiences that I've had. I've never materialized anything like Blavatsky or some of the other uh, renowned psychics, but I've seen events in my life materialize after having the mental focus and affirmation and intent on whatever that is. So, um, I think the intention of consciousness is one of the most powerful things that's the least understood mm -hmm. yet, but one of the most profound and uh, one that I think is going to be extremely important as we are going through what I consider a human upgrade. We're, we're in an upgrade right now and it's, and we're overdue, but by God, it's time for an upgrade of humanity. And if you look back through history and you see the cycles of it, uh, I think we are, on the verge of it, and it's going to be really exciting going forward. Yes, I do agree with you on that, sir. And Science Bob wants to know, Robert, do you receive downloads? <laughs> <laughs> downloads is the probably the most profound thing that I've experienced. In fact, the, the concept that I have or my philosophy of informatica was a download that happened about four years ago in the middle of the night. Um, woke up with just stream of information and I have, uh, I've been a purveyor of the, um, the Samsung series of the note phones, the ones that have the little pen in them. Right. And I, it was about two in the morning. I, this download, I mean, it was coming down so fast and, and it was so much of it that grabbed my phone I pull out the pen and I wrote about 10 pages of notes. And all wow. I could do was just take notes. Like there was a whole bunch more going on besides the, the just the notes that I wrote. So yes, the download thing I, I think is is a part of consciousness. I think it's a part of the way that consciousness works. Tesla was famous for his um, uh, downloads and, and being able to see the the entire invention that he came up with just in a flash in his mind. And then he proceeded to go and, and make it into the material world or write it down and, and build it. Uh, Ramasan, Ramasawan uh, was another mathematician that had the same kind of experiences. He would see these mathematical equations in his mind and, and just write them down. They would be essentially, according to him, they came from um, a female Indian goddess um, who was communicating with him in his dreams. So I, I yes, to answer your questions, Bob. Yes, downloads are downloads are where it's at, in my opinion. <laughs> wow, that is very interesting. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, science, Bob. You got it right. Rama, Ramanujan. Yeah. Yes. That's what it was. 
Very interesting. All right, Deborah, what about you? Oh, Lord. <clears throat> I've got 65 years worth of stuff, so uh, <laughs> it's hard to choose one. But I guess probably the most um, impactful and transformative um, event that I had was the June 30, 83 incident in my parents' backyard that left a mark in the yard that lasted for a couple of years and snow melted off of it and wow. um, messed up my eyes and basically probably killed my dog. She was about oh, six or eight, no. eight weeks later. We had to put her down. There were, um, it's a really long, ridiculous long story and I won't, I'll try to do the abbreviated version of it. Just, I was living with my parents when I was a single young mother and, uh, found myself uh, out in the backyard looking for prowlers, uh, actually, is what I thought. Uh, and uh, I was in the garage that's attached to the house, and then I uh, started, I felt real hot, like I was on fire. I thought, oh, I got to get out of here. Something's wrong. And I went to run out the pedestrian door, and I was hit, hit in, like, the chest area uh, by this ball of light. And eventually it caused my whole body to vibrate and shake. And uh, I couldn't see. It kind of blinded me. I, I could see the light. I knew my eyes were closed, but I couldn't get away from it. And uh, when the vibrating and the shaking stopped, uh, I found myself out about 20 feet on the patio outside the door. But I don't remember how I got there. I saw what I thought were six children in my mom and dad's backyard walking around and I thought why are these kids in my parents yard and as I was watching them I couldn't see very good because my vision at that point was like splotchy um, like when you get take a picture and you don't blink and the flash gets you so my vision was kind of like that and I saw these children come from different spots in the yard and they all kind of lined up off to my right and then they kind of just glided down towards me, but not at me to my left. And that's when I saw this thing in the yard that was very small, actually, and kind of egg-shaped. Uh, I called it a craft because I, at that time we didn't know what other word to put it. But in retrospect, I know now there's no way that six kids even could go in that thing and fly anywhere. So I don't know what it was. I don't know that he was even touching the ground. Uh, completely because I thought it kind of wobbled a little bit but uh, this incident that uh, at the next memory I have after that aside from feeling touching and hearing a voice say it was unfortunate that I had pain and then hearing a name my name being called which kind of snapped me out of it was um, the the gal I was going to go hang out with that night earlier decided her and her daughter to come to mom's house so we could swim and while we were in the pool we all got sick so they left and I went in the house and the next day when I woke up my eyes were swollen shut so my mom took me to the emergency room uh, and uh, it, my eyes were never the same after that I immediately went farsighted and by the time I was 30 I was diagnosed with cataracts and macular degeneration. And then by the time I 
almost was 50, I ended up with new lenses in my eyes. Uh, have a lot of strange health problems that started right after that. There were uh, two witnesses to that night, two different neighbors, one across the street and one next door. We didn't know about him until eventually Bud was contacted and um, uh, he came out and interviewed people. And so the and the mark in the yard stayed, like I said, for a couple years as it slowly grew back. Snow melted off of it that first year, light snowfalls. Um, I had read Bud's book, Missing Time, a few months before that, and uh, couldn't. I actually didn't read it. I kept try. I kept trying to read it, but I couldn't finish it because it kept freaking me out. So I I uh, went back to the library, got the address, wrote to him. And he responded that started the two or three year investigation that ended up in the book intruders. And, you know, after that experience, something in me changed. I always said that night that I died and Debbie 2.0 was born. I mean, the first year or two, I think I had a nervous breakdown. I, my mind just went some exploded, you know, and I was physically sick all the time. But as the years passed, something in me changed and something in my mind opened up. It's like somebody flipped a switch on or rewired me. I always said that I always compare the human brain to a tube type radio in Adobe digital surround sound world, you know, and there's a lot going on around us. We can't, we can't perceive because we're not built to receive it, but something in my wiring got changed and I started to be able to, see things I could feel people's energy when it's like a fingerprint somebody walk up behind me I know if I don't know them but if I know them I know who they are because I recognize how they feel um, and it's progressed over the years this change I've still I've had a few physical uh, contacts but most of my contact has become I've said it's gone from physical to metaphysical and my fear that I initially had, the terror is gone. I don't have that. And um, now I have lucid dreams maybe three times a week at where wow. it seems like I'm in a different place. Like I'm in a place, I'll dream that I'm in my house and there'll be my husband and my dogs. My house is kind of, it's configured the same, but the furniture is different. I got, I walked in and I went and I said, where'd all my stuff go? And he looked at me and said, what are you talking about? And I said, this isn't my furniture. This is not my decor, you know? And I went outside and I noticed the house was the same outside, except for the doors were a little different. And I recognized a couple of the houses in the neighborhood, but then there were a couple of different houses. So I got in my car and I drove to the store and across the store in, in my waking life, there's a car wash, but there was some kind of a convenience store where the car wash should be, and I didn't even recognize the name. And and I remember saying in the dream, where the am I? Okay, and as soon as I said that, I woke up, and the dream was over. So it's like as soon as I realize I'm somewhere, it's like I go somewhere when I go to sleep now uh, sometimes, and it's almost the same place. <laughs> But uh, not quite. And then I, you know, I had these visions. You call them downloads, I think, Bob. But I never heard that term. But I, I would have these. Uh, I saw a cluster of bubbles one time. 
at just hanging in front of me. And something told me that each one of those bubbles was the universe and everywhere that those bubbles touched, they became one for a brief moment. And that was the point of entry, but we had to be quick because it moves like a bubble undulates like a mass of bubbles. I mean, I, and I've drawn all this stuff down and written all this weird stuff down for years. I've got, I've gotten real involved in, uh, I'm trying to read, I read science books that I don't even know what the words mean, but something tells me that I need to put these words in my head because I'll know what they mean someday or I, I'll understand more. So anyway, I'm just, I've lost my mind, I guess. So, I mean, there's, uh, there's so much, like I said, and I'm still, I'm still uh, uh, working through it. I'll be a work in progress until the day I stop breathing here, but. I don't believe in death anymore. And I, I don't believe I, I, you guys are talking about ultra dimensional or extra dimensional or interdimensional or whatever, all the things that Robert Bauer was saying, I was like, that's correct. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this is stuff I found on my own or somebody else told me, or I knew, I, I don't know, but that's how that that experience in 83 was my pivotal point and changed me i got a lot of crazy stories i got a lot of wild stories but i will i gotta end that now i gotta stop talking so and jones wants to know what is type is your blood type i am a positive my mother was a negative and i'm not sure what my father was but I'm a positive. And also, Susan Alloway, Kathy Davis, you always were my hero when I read Intruders. A lifeline. When there was no one to trust to tell, it's always awesome to meet you. You know what? And there's one more. That's exactly why I went public. And believe me, in 1983, to go public with this bizarre stuff, uh, was not easy to do and that's why uh you know first we used a pseudonym to protect me and my kids but i, I felt compelled to help other people because i knew i wasn't alone i knew there were a bunch of folks out there like me and this was what i was supposed to do so and then science bob please ask deborah how long between you and your family experiences did you go until you meet Bud Hopkins, and how much did it help you to have an understanding here? Well, my sister, Kathleen, my older sister, she had an experience in 1965 where she, her entire car was picked up by a, uh, uh, her entire car was picked up by a uh, UFO in the back of a church after she dropped our mom off for bingo. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know. Yeah, I'm out. The nope. family talked about it. I, I don't, I just, just, you know, I was raised in it though. So I thought, oh, you know, everybody's got these kind of stories. But um, so uh, from the time, you know, and I had strange things happen to me when I was six, I was missing for a whole day and the whole police department in Detroit was looking for me. And I was just playing with a little boy that had big head and big black eyes. But, no kidding. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, so 
when June 30, 83 happened, I had, I had, like I said, I, that's when I first reached out to Bud. And then probably six weeks or so after my mom finally mailed the letter, he contacted me. And yes, it has been, Bud changed my life to have someone that listened to us. And it wasn't just me. I have to understand if it, if it was just me, I probably would have never said anything to anybody, but it was my sister. It was my whole family. It was, uh, you know, we all were, had things. And mom was there with me that night and she saw my eyes, how wrecked up they were. So, um, but what, as soon as I got a hold of Bud, the first thing he did was hook me up with a buddy. And uh, he had this buddy system that he set up amongst people that had experiences so that you had someone that you could call anytime, day or night. If you were feeling like something was going to happen and you were having a panic attack or whatever, you could call this person and they could talk you off the ledge. They could, uh, you know, help you get through it. And so, and then, you know, when I met him, uh, when I, I sold my washer and dryer to get a bus ticket to go to New York uh, and almost jumped off the bus almost halfway there because I thought, what the hell are you doing, you dumbass? You're going to see some man that wrote a book about aliens. You don't know anything. <laughs> you got kids, you're a mother, you know. So, but I stayed on the bus. Anyway, the first thing he must have been thinking the same thing because the first thing he did when he got me off the bus was take me to the psychiatrist's office in New York. <laughs> I guess he probably wanted to make sure I was okay too. And uh, so I, he arranged uh, psychiatric testing. He arranged um, medical testing. You know, uh, at that hospital in New York, the e EEG of my brain and the CAT scan of my brain or the x-ray of my, I don't know what it was at that time. And, um, you know, hooked me up with people that, that were like me. I didn't have any idea there were so many people like me. I'm in the middle of Indiana in a cornfield, nowheresville. Don't, can't talk to anybody about any of this stuff, you know, except for my friends and family, but not pe other people that were in it as deeply as I was. So, you know, having him was a lifeline. And honestly, he changed my life. I feel like he saved my life <clears throat> in some ways. And, and nothing about my life today would be even remotely recognizable if hadn't been for him, for meeting him. So, sorry, wow. I talked too much. I no, love it. That's, Thank you. Yeah, that, that was awesome. I mean, just very incredible. I mean, uh, yeah. Now, yeah. I would have... Uh, I would have freaked out and been sitting in the car and just like, Ooh, and then it just like floated. Yeah. I know. I mean, I mean, I have dolls. Okay. In my studio and before the beginning of the last show, they were like jumping off the top of my studio desk, committing suicide. Like they were jumping oh off skyscrapers. They must have known I was yeah, one of my psychics were laughing and I'm freaking out and, and, and I'm, it's not funny. <laughs> You know, and uh, she does not like them. Look, boom, there we go. So uh, I have paranormal activity in my studio, and uh, Lala knows about it. And, uh, it crawled, and you talk about over his foot. One of, yeah, one of yeah. them during a live show. I mean, literally crawled. It was, it was, it was uh, Hansel, and I right. about messed my britches. And about, yeah, I mean, I, I think that out. stuff is cool. I don't get freaked out cool. by it. I'm like, oh my god, that's cool. In our I paranormal got holy groups, water, 
crucifixes. You have your you have your wooden stake. You have your wooden stake. Yes, the silver bullet. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Look, there's my silver bullet. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. Yeah. So. Yeah. So there we go. Stuff. I mean, to me, that's like just confirms to me that what I feel is right. Well, Lala told me that one of my dolls was real heavy and somebody put an attachment to one of my dolls because all the dolls I've got were from, um, um, what do you call it, uh, estate sales. And, uh, and the first set of dolls I got was from an NXT shop in Madison, Indiana, and I was walking down an aisle, and this is what I heard. Excuse me. Hello. <laughs> and I thought it was a kid. So I turned around, and nobody was there. So I was like, oh, well, it, it, it's a kid in, in the next aisle over. And I turned around, and I saw these dolls. And there were four of them. And I thought, man, this would be great for a paranormal show that we're doing. And I'll make them, and I'll in each show we'll let the audience name a doll. That was the worst mistake I ever made. <laughs> I had no idea that I had an attachment, and uh, her name was Rebecca, and she uh, owned these dolls. I found out through one of the psychics, and uh, she was an adult that has a child's mind, and she passed away. And she got upset because I was disrespecting her dolls. And she was making books fly off my studio shelf during my live shows. She was making my backdrops collapse during my live shows. And this was all happening during my broadcast. I was freaking out. I was throwing holy water during my live shows on the air. <laughs> I was saying prayers. I was shouting, Lawyer Robert laughing. I mean, it's funny now. It wasn't then. I was freaking out. You know, I was doing cleansings and everybody was like, what's going on? And I mean, I got extra cameras because just, just to prove people that there was no strings and stuff was happening. So I bought extra cameras. I'm like, dude, Grizzly, something's not right. I'm like, yeah, something is not right. I'm telling you. So, but yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, I got activity. So I know how it's, <laughs> it's not funny, Lala. It's She's sorry. always laughing at me. Because you get so excited about it, I you're braver than me. I, it's interesting, but I wouldn't be able to go to sleep at all. Especially the one that stalks you, where it'll move from place to place, following him, and he'll take photos. It's really creepy. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's like you well, know. I didn't move anybody on 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 this program and look how we all move it, they they do it itself i don't know why it just doesn't <laughs> i wanted to um chime in on on uh, deb's story a little bit um and and just to comment in general um if you were talking about how you know back in the in the early 90s or early 80s you know you were kind you were alone. You didn't know that there was anybody else having these kind of experiences and um, you didn't know who to talk to. And, and back then, and even today, although it's, it's less, there's a stigma attached with experiencers and people who 
have paranormal um, encounters and see UFOs. And, and even those of us who originally were called conspiracy theorists, uh, I consider myself a conspiracy analyst um, because every time I look at things that I've learned about as being quote unquote in the conspiracy realm for the last 30 plus years, right now the theory theorists are batting about 28 to zero with the people that are saying, you know, that that couldn't possibly be. I mean, we've heard more stuff about, you know, the JFK assassination, which most people don't realize that conspiracy theorists and that term was coined by the CIA to squash, yes, particularly the investigation into uh, JFK's assassination. But it's been applied to everything. It doesn't, I mean, you can get recent with uh, not only the UFO and UAP stuff, but the whole pandemic nonsense. Um, anybody who questions the official narrative and, and what, I, what I call the narradime um, gets put into that conspiracy theorist or, in my case, analyst category. How awesome is it that not only are we winning the, the game, <laughs> if you will, but as the future unfolds in front of us and we go through this major upgrade of humanity and it's coming from a whole bunch of different areas, primarily at the frequency realm. And this includes astrological energies, um, all of the different aspects of the, of the planetary energies and the, and the, the ways in which our solar system functions and the electromagnetic energies. And we're going to find out that plasma physics is really what's going on. We're an electric universe. We're not in this, materialistic mechanistic model that's been hoisted on everybody and and used as a main filter of knowledge but going forward people like you deb and like me and everybody else on this panel that has had these oh you if you had one of those experiences you definitely are on something that you should <laughs> be or you have some things that need to be tightened up in the cranial structure or whatever they they use to excuse you for having that those thoughts those experiences those ideas and all of them all of them are being shown to be actual reality and the power of that going forward and the way that people are going to be um awoken that's a play on woke versus awakened but <laughs> because these people that are woke are certainly not um in my opinion in my opinion, we're going through this major upgrade and all these bizarre, strange things that have been talked about, not only for the last few decades, but for the last several millennia that have been written about from literally every civilization that we've encountered their mythos and being able to um, decipher their stories. They all have the same common thing. Somebody up there came down here, gave us stuff. Somebody up there came down here and told us things. Somebody right. up there came down here and made us and so for me disclosure that happened millennia ago the real disclosure that everybody that all of the elites and the cabal deep state whoever whatever term you want to put on them that the real disclosure they're afraid of is the fact that they've had technology that could have made our world completely different than it is today absolutely could have had a world of tesla tech as opposed to this crap that we have today that now has to be completely dismantled and replaced because the real technology of energy from the ether 
um, the ability to have non-local consciousness. That's where the truth is, and that's what's coming out. So I feel extremely positive for those of us who have been labeled the black sheep, the nut jobs, the, you know, whatever they've term they've used on us, uh, because I certainly have been in that camp. And I kind of feel like, I don't know if you, if how many of you seen uh, Iron Man where Tony Stark comes out on the stage, he's, he's got his arms up and the big light behind him. And the meme says me walking into a family gathering after all my conspiracy theories have come true. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right on that. So yes. That, that's just my opinion. One, one crazy guy's opinion. <laughs> I think there's some validity to it. I mean, I do. I think you're absolutely right. We I, keep I, we keep losing John. John. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's blaming my dolls on that, so I don't know. <laughs> hey, now what, what kind of what kind of dolls are they? They're not, they're not Barbies, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, they're really cool. no, they're not Barbies. Oh. Uh, they some of them come from Japan. Uh, they are all from estate sales, uh, some from old. antique stores. Yeah, very old, uh, handmade dolls. Uh, so I, they're just, uh, I've got probably uh, 29 or 33 of them. Mm -hmm. So when I, when and, I sold, uh, when I sold real estate on Whidbey Island, north of Seattle, I, I went to a house and I was only there about, about five minutes and I had to leave. She had dolls everywhere and they were creepy. <laughs> I mean, I just, I walked in there and all of a sudden I, you know, people, I felt like I had a thousand eyes on me, which I probably did. She had well over 1500 dolls. Oh my and God. some of them were of creepy. Dolls. Some of them were, you know, the, uh, there's been a couple of TV programs or whatever with uh, re really weird, creepy dolls. And some of these look just like that. And Science Bob had a question. Uh, what is my newest book? Yeah, comes out next month. Well, it comes out in November. It is uh, titled uh, Nautilus to Columbia class. I cover pictorially and I cover each and every one, all 227 nuclear powered submarines built for the United States Navy. And I have uh, extensive internal sh uh, shots of the Los Angeles class, the Seawolf class, the uh, oh, wow. Virginia class, the Ohio class. And people say, well, my friends of mine have known me forever. said, good. I said, How in the, what in the hell are you doing with submarines? I said, well, first of all, they're black. And most of my airplanes that I focus on are black. They're stealth, as which most everything I deal with is stealth, and they're deadly. So I met all my all my primary uh, uh, reasons for going after it. Plus, no one knows what they do. You can't see them when they're at work. They're they're 400 or 600 feet or deeper, just going back and forth, looking or just silently, you know, silently moving. Now, the Ohio boats, for example, you have an 18,000 ton tube that's 560 feet long, 43 feet in diameter. There's about 160 guys on board. There's some women on there, on there now as well. And when they go on patrol, and these are the ballistic missile subs, they'll, they have an area, uh, their area of responsibility in the North Pacific is 150,000 square miles. And the, there's only... Uh, Three people on the planet knows where they're at. That's the captain, the XO, and the uh, navigator. 
Wow. No one else does. The president doesn't know. The secretary of defense doesn't know. The chief of naval operations have no idea. But it's, it is, and they're very, very quiet. The Ohio boats, even though they, you know, they're nearing the end of their life cycle, the Ohio boats are as quiet as they come. They only go, they, they, they cruise around at four knots at about 800 feet, and they have a zigzag pattern for the 150 thousand miles and then they go this way and they go this way and that's all they do for 70 or 80 days and every single day they stop over an area that's uh is been placed there and they know precisely where it is to the second uh longitude and latitude and they go over and they hover over this thing and they update their inertial navigation platforms and every time every time you do a uh, an update you reduce the error rate. So when they go out on, on Monday morning, they're heading out patrol, maybe they're plus or minus uh, 50 or 100 feet hitting their targets. By the end of it, they're down to a few meters. But in nuclear weapons, close counts. So, uh, but it's it's an incredible community of people. I, uh, the, the men and now some women that are on the... Uh, uh, the subs, they don't have a problem with retention. Maybe they have a crabby wife at home and say, well, I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out in, you know, in, the, in the middle of the Atlantic or Pacific Ocean for the next 60 or 90 days. Um, but it's a, it's a very dedicated crew of people. And I just, uh, I just, I love technology. Now we're, de we're you know, the, the early Ohio boats have, all of them have been upgraded to D5 capabilities now, but all of them initially were running on an 8088 or 8087 platform. Uh, I mean, there you, you have more technology in your back pocket or your purse than the world had in 1980. Just one, just one, one of you has more computing power, more information in your back pocket. And it's, and it's, that part blows me away. I've been in the information storage business off and on for most of my 78 years. I worked for Xerox for a number of years. I worked for a, a company called Nortronics that specialized in magnetic head technology from floppy disks. Some of you remember those uh, down to three to diskettes, down to hard drives, to DVDs, down to, uh, uh, and now you get a computer and there's absolutely no place to put a floppy in. <laughs> so what's a floppy or a diskette? Mm -hmm. What's a diskette? Or even, you know, some of them don't even have a, uh, a uh, SD card slot, and that's really that's uh, you know kind of a pain. And uh, Science Bob snuck into Area Fifty One and camped there. Yes, I did. I uh, wow. Um, I didn't go as far in as uh, we call him Agent X. He is a retired uh, Army Special Forces guy. And back in the '90s, there was a group of us. We called us that ourselves the Dreamland Interceptors. And we would go out in the desert and snoop on our government in and around Area 51 and Tonopah Test Range. And it's it's so funny when they when they realize who's out there, the, the responses are funny. I was I was with John Lear. We we're at the fence line at Tonopah Test Range. This is 1996. It's 11 o'clock at night. We have our lawn chairs out there, and you tape up your your pant legs on your boots so the scorpions don't climb up your legs if they're out there. And 
where you can look, you look uh, at the fence line, you look right down on Tonopah test trains. And it was supposedly in caretaker status, but there were all sorts of activity around the place. So we knew something was going. And we both had generation one uh, night vision goggles. And I, we see an armored personnel carrier coming up from the south, from the west, from the east. And I stand up and yell real loud, hey, we're good guys, we're taxpayers. And all of a sudden, boom, we have floodlights. John has three little red dots in his chest. I have three oh. little red dots on my chest. Wow. And we see this guy, and I'm not worried about it. Too much paperwork if you shoot someone on public land. And this, this gentleman came around uh, John's pickup truck with his hand on his Beretta. He's in desert utilities. He said, you're in a restricted area, and I'm ordering you to leave. And I said, sir, I don't know who you are but this is public lands and I don't need your permission to be here. I've been, I've been deputized by the state of Nevada uh, to uphold the laws of the federal government, Lincoln, Esmeralda, Nye County. And I said, well, good for you. He said, but you're in a restricted area and, and, and I'm telling you, you're gonna leave. And I, so I pulled out this aeronautical map printed by our government and I opened it up and I said, according to the longitude and latitude of the restricted area, which is on this map, and it's to the second, if you look at the base of that, fence post over there, there's a USGS medallion that gives the longitude and latitude. I'm on public lands. I don't need your permission to be here. And I can be here for 15 consecutive days without your permission. And this guy's getting pissed. I want to see some ideas. Well, who are you? I said, well, I'm Captain so-and-so with ASI, Advanced Security Inc. I said, you're a -a rent-a-cop. You're not, you don't have jurisdiction on this side of the fence. And he's, you could just, you could just hear his blood pressure going so i want to see some ideas why well, don't I have to show you squat and he's i mean he's really really getting upset so finally i say i tell you what you show me yours i'll show you mine so he hands me his asi badge and i give it back to him and said sir that's not a valid form of id i need something issued by the state or federal government and he i mean he's almost shaking <laughs> i'm captain so-and-so and i've been up you know i said i don't care who you are uh, so I tell, tell you what, uh, you show me yours, I'll show you mine. So he finally gave me his Nevada driver's license. I didn't have these on, so I'm, and it's dark. So I gave him my Minnesota license. Uh, Lear gave him his license. He still has his feet up in the bob wire. Guy hands it to a guy on the south side of the fence who walks to, and that's about 1130 at night now, walks to the uh, armored personnel carrier where the, you know, the, the ship shift supervisor or whoever it was in there turns on the interior light now i'm hearing impaired but i heard this voice oh shit it's good all in lear the lights <laughs> went away the red dots disappeared and they dispersed but we knew they weren't going to have any they weren't going to do anything that night because good all in lear were at the fence line so um i love being a pain in the ass and i have been for a long long time <laughs> I was talking to my boss, uh, Major General Gene Andriotti, here a couple of days ago. And he said, Jim, he said, of all the people I've met in all branches of the service, uh, both the Air Force, active duty, guard, or reserve, you're the most unique NCO that the United States military has ever experienced. I said, I have never met anybody like you. And he said, at 78 years old, you went into the jungles of Belize this year looking for Mayan treasures, and we found them. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, that, that, uh, that's going to be a whole new chapter in my life. 
there's only one uh, Mayan temple, Mayan pyramid complex is not controlled by the federal government. And on the, my first full day in Belize, we were uh, uh, touring a, one of two excavated sites that are managed by the uh, Belize government. And it was about a mile and a half walk around the thing. And it, it rained while you were there. Temperature didn't change. It was 87 degrees. And so was the water coming down on you. And then it went away. So now you were, instead of being dry, being humid, you're wet and humid. And uh, near the end of it, I have, I have no sense of balance, a real bad sense of balance. So I didn't want to walk down these, these uneven stairs or steps. I only had about 10 feet to go to be done with my tour. I slipped and fell and I gashed my leg and sliced it. And a little bit of rain, I mean, when, when it's raining, a little bit of blood goes a long way and a lot of blood goes a lot longer, a lot farther. So ended up getting it taken care of. Three days later, now I gave my DNA and my blood to the Mayan gods. Three days later, we fall into an opportunity in this one little village that had been uh, cut off from the real world until 2012. And of all the Mayan sites in Belize, this is the only one where the village controls the destiny of the uh, pyramid. And we fell in with their, uh, uh, their governing council. We've been back there. We've been there you know, with four different visits there. We are now uh, putting together a, a team and raising money, we're going to, we're going to have, we're going to do the excavations of the, uh, the, the three pyramid complex outside of the village. And it's good. And, and, and it, we're the only, we're the only organization that's not university backed. The universities go in there and they steal everything. And then they, you know, they rat hole the information and they, you know, they won't let additional studies be done. We're not going to let that happen this time. So, that's you know that's one of the that's, that's another thing that you do when you're in the late 70s and heading towards your early 80s. <laughs> you you go out and work in the jungle and uh, play George of the Jungle or uh, so it's that's amazing. It, it is. It it's it, it's fun. I mean, I asked me my I asked my, my my wife when I was first asked, "Do you want to come to Belize?" And I said, "I said, should I go?" She said, "Okay, you're 78." I said. When's the next opportunity you're going to have to say, hey, you want to go to Belize? I said, well, probably never. And I said, well, then go. <laughs> okay. So mm -hmm. that's what I did. And we were there for two weeks and it was, it was fun. But because I had, I had open wounds, I couldn't, uh, we, had, we had to go up some rivers and through, through some mangrove swamps to get to some sites. Oh. And I couldn't do that because the, the, uh, everybody, uh, said under no circumstances do you put your your leg in that water because you're going to come out you know six months from now yeah you're going to have green scales on you and you know and gills right and you're right. going to be swamp creature <laughs> and, and I didn't want to do that so I, I missed out on a few a few adventures but it was it, it was still a kick in the butt and we're going back probably in October for to do a lidar scan of the pyramid complex. Both wow. ground-based, ground-based and uh, drone-based lidar, so we'll know exactly what we're digging into. So, uh, Standing Stone wants to know: Can you answer something that John yeah. Laird told you on some interviews uh, yeah. and some of the Area 51 and Green Lake stuff? 
Yeah, the, you know, John's been talking about the underground facilities forever, and it's it's only within the last two years that uh, the the dumbs, as they call it, the the deep underground military uh, bases. Uh, I don't I I don't know. I've kn- I knew John for forty five years. And half the time, you don't know if he's pulling your leg or if he's telling the truth. And unless you see that twinkle in his eye, and then when he when he catches you and he bursts out in this this laugh, only John Lear could have, and it, and, and it was a gotcha. But he's he's been seriously talking about the underground facilities. The capability is there. Uh, I had a, a friend of mine. He since passed away. He was an SR seventy one pilot. And when he retired, he moved to Lynchburg, Tennessee. It's the home of Jack Daniels. Well, my dad, when he was alive, was uh, head of engineering at the Arnold Air Force Station there in Tullahoma, which is 11 miles from uh, Lynchburg. So I was visiting my dad, and I called up Dave Fruhoff, and I said, hey, I'm in the area. I can come by for a visit. He said, sure. Now, he's a, an SR-71 pilot. When he was a student pilot, his airplane had a total electrical failure. And he had to he had to bail out. Oh so I was God. I was there prime I was there and he was subsonic when they bailed out and they were able to, to to come down, but they were operating with intercom only. They had their, they turned I think they have an emergency beacon that they uh, had turned on, but they were they couldn't land anywhere because of weather. So they finally, finally, they're 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 heading towards uh, Beale Air Force Base, and the tech order said that if you have a total electrical failure, the ends will suck the fuel out of the out of the fuel sump. That's fine when you're flying like this, but when it's a Delta airplane, when you put the gear down, you you know you 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 pitch up, and the sump emptied out, both engines flamed out. And the first thing that happens, the airplane flips upside down oh, and comes down know. like a falling leaf. Sorry. So they so they both punched out. So I wanted to interview uh, Dave with that, and then I finally said, "said uh, Dave, I said, do you believe in UFOs?" And he said, "Absolutely, positively, they exist." I said, "Duh!" And can you you know you expand upon that? He said, "Sure." And that I mean I about fell down. He was on a night mission out of Kadena, Okinawa. This is late 72, early 73. Vietnam was still an issue. He's at, uh, it's 11 o'clock at night. He is going straight. He's at 78,000 feet at Mach 2.7, which is about 18 or 1900 miles an hour. And he's just cruising along. There's a three quarter moon off his left side. And all of a sudden, he gets a glint of something metallic and shiny five or six miles away on his right side and maybe five or 6,000 feet above him. Now, the SR-71 loves to go fast. So at at Mach 2.7 at 78,000 feet, he's in minimum afterburner. I mean, he's almost out of afterburner. He's all the way back to the detents. So he contacts Kadena on secure voice to see if they had another airplane up. They said, no, you're up there by yourself. And he said, no, I'm not. I'm going to go take a look. So he advances the throttles and he, he goes on a 10 degree bank and he starts climbing. All of a sudden his backseater notices it and says, hey, Dave, we have company. He said, yeah, I know. I'm going to go take a look. And when he was still a mile or so away and still a thousand or so feet below it, this thing took off. 
He couldn't make the shape because he didn't want to open his visor. And there was too much reflections on inside the cockpit to see the star field. Because up there, there's not a few stars up there. It's blank. At 85,000 feet, it's blanketed with stars. And, you, know, you can almost read a book by starlight. But this thing took off and left him in the dust. And he said he lost track of it when it was going between probably 180 and 200,000 feet. He, and he said he left him. He estimated maybe Mach 12, maybe Mach 16. Wow. So fast, fast forward to 1979. He retires as a lieutenant colonel. He has his Q clearance. You got to find a job. Oh, there's, they're looking for a facility manager at Area 51. That's not how it started, but that's how his job search ended up. So for five years, he was the facility manager at Area 51. And what you don't do when you're dealing with working in a classified environment is ask questions. You don't start talking to people and said, hey, what are you guys working on? He said, you know, I, I come by, your, I drive by your hangar and it's always closed. And there's always someone there with a nasty attitude with a gun out front. What are you doing? You don't do that because as soon as you do, you're going to boot your butt out of there. They're not going to charge you with anything. They're just going to pull your clearance. And if you've been, if you've worked in the spooky airplane business uh, your whole life and your world revolves around uh, needing a security clearance to do your job, all of a sudden you're SOL. Mm -hmm. So he didn't say anything for about the first year. And he was responsible for every single building and structure at Area 51. So what about the underground facilities? He said, if they had them, I would have been responsible for them. And they, I'm not aware of any. He said, but on the other side of the Papoose Range, we have the ability to, to grind a 36-foot diameter hole into solid granite about a foot an hour. And that's how they built Yucca Mountain. That's how they, you know, when they were when we were still doing underground detonations, that's how they they dug the hole with these borers. Said, but uh, nothing, I mean, none, none of that stuff he was aware of. But he said, I've been in everything from a wall locker to the biggest hangar there I was responsible for. So, uh, but he, you know, he said that he's heard of S4. He asked some guys who flew a lot on the red and whites, which are the Janet flights. And he said, do you ever heard the name Bob Lazar? And uh, a couple of the guys he talked to said, yeah, I, I remember the name. I remember the name. So uh, is Bob real? Yes. And the, the, the little event that happened within the last, what, 30 days, Robert, uh, will testify the fact that, ooh, Bob is real. So is S4. And if you want to chime in on that, Robert. Uh... <laughs> well, I, uh, I've been a uh, purveyor and consumer of remote viewing. Uh, and those that are extremely talented at it uh, for at least uh, almost the last 10 years. And Dick Algeyer, Daz Smith, Edward Reardon, uh, Naeem, Malcolm, um, even the guys over at uh, Farsight uh, with Courtney Brown and his team. In fact, Dick and Daz were, did a lot of work with uh, Courtney at the Farsight Institute before they started their own group. Um, you can go to YouTube and you can just do a search on Bob Lazar remote viewing. And you'll get at least the 
five, I think there's a five and a 10 minute overview. And then I think they're getting ready to release the 30 minute. It's just over 30 minutes um, summary that they did. And what, and what they did with that, which really made it quite fascinating is they had Richard Dolan uh, come on and uh, be a, a guest during the target reveal. And Dolan, uh, you know, most people know who he is. He was basically, and, and Jim, you saw this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, Dolan was falling off his chair. And, and I think that there's, when you look at, there's a much deeper dive into it. There's a two-hour reveal, and then there's over two, almost 300 pages of the actual session sketches that they did, plus the whiteboard video sessions. And uh, I, to me, the real home run is going to be uh, once uh, Bob gets a chance to look at it. And if he sees something in there that only he knows that he did not reveal, and he points at it and goes, that's true right there, then you know <laughs> that there's something about this non-local consciousness known as remote viewing. And what's, what's crazy about it is, especially for the science folks, it's a scientific protocol that was developed not by the military. It was developed by Ingo Swan and Hal mm -hmm. Putoff and Russell Targ back in the early 70s at Stanford, at SRI, Stanford Research Institute. But it later then became militarized or it, it had military project backing for over 20 years. Um, and that's where Lynn Buchanan and uh, a lot of the, the folks that are out there in the RV organizations, uh, Remote Viewing International, um, these guys have been doing this stuff and doing it with military precision because it is a scientific protocol that has specific steps to go through it. And it's something that anyone can do. Mm -hmm. This technique and these skills of having some kind of clairvoyance, clairaudience, um, this essentially non-local consciousness is a part of our existence. It's a part of what we experience. And I, I've seen a lot of remote viewing projects that blew me away, but this one on Bob Lazar is oh, yeah. one of the finest. It's just amazing. Yeah. I have a Highly question. recommend it. I have a question for uh, Deb first, but then everybody. When it comes to aliens and spirits, do you think they share, this might be stupid, but they share the same um, portal or, I don't know, wormhole, whatever. Do you think they share the same thing to go to different places or are they different ones for different species? How do you guys feel about that? Well, you know how I got interested in the paranormal investigation side of things and I captured some EVPs and some video and stuff between that and some other experiences I've had personally I feel like some of those things that I are or even that people think are spirits of dead people I don't think that's what they are um, I think they're just living somewhere else um, mm -hmm. and I just happen to 
I, I'm a, like, I might be an EVP or a spirit picture for somebody else somewhere else in right? this little brief moment. I, there's a connection somehow. I had a waking, this, I wasn't even asleep. I was out walking and I was feeling a certain type of way, just so zenny and relaxed as I walked, which I often feel when I'm outside by myself. And um, all of a sudden, out of the blue, I heard this man's voice say, hey, Deb. And I kind of jumped and I looked around and I didn't see anybody. And then I thought, um, OK, I've had this before. And I said, uh, uh, I'm saying to myself, OK, what's this? What's going on? And then I hear the voice again say, did you know? Where I am, you look like a little ball of white light just wow. floating around. And uh, then he says, um, that's how we look to him from where he is. But And he says, that's how I look to you. But actually, where I am, I look just like you do. And I said to him, I said, okay, are you dead? And he, he kind of laughed and said, no, I'm as, al as alive as you are. And I said, are you an alien? And he just said, no. And that was it. It was gone. It stopped. I went about my, I said, are you still there? Nope. Didn't hear anything. Went on about my business. I don't know where that came from or why. I know I was in a really super relaxed state of mind when it came in, when it happened, but and then it was gone as quickly, you know, and I realized I'm not so far gone that I don't realize that that sounds pretty crazy. <laughs> I know it. And, and I understand that. It's not like I hear voices all the time telling me to do awful things, but why sometimes something I, I'll tell you about remote viewing because I've been attracted to that and fascinated by that for quite some time. I'm probably talking 20 years. Um, I worked at GM and I ran a surface mount line. Uh, so I was by myself uh, and uh, I had the engineers set your lines up every day. So they run if without, if they don't fail, if they don't have any errors, they will build the same amount of parts every day in the same amount of time. Cause that's how the engineers set them up. Well, I noticed over a period of a couple of weeks that my, I was, my machines were running great. I wasn't having any errors, but I was finishing sooner, almost to the point where like I was almost an hour earlier <laughs> of finishing. And I said to, I saw my engineers one and I said, Hey, are you guys speeding up the machines for some reason? You know? And he uh, said, no, why? And I'm like, you're not messing with me. Are you? Cause they, they liked it. They're they're They like to mess with me sometimes. And he's like, no, I believed him. So, and I'm sitting there doing my puzzle and drinking my coffee, doing my crossword, drinking my coffee. And I see somebody walk down the aisle, walk down the line towards me in the corner of my eye. It's just in the peripheral vision. And uh, so I turned to look because I was going to say, hey, what, what are you doing? What's up? But there was no one there. And I thought, oh, OK, that's weird. So I went back to my writing. And then I felt someone standing by me. I mean, you know, like when somebody comes up to you, I mean, I could feel them standing behind this shoulder. And I, I could see uh, like a navy blue shirt and khaki pants. 
And so I thought, okay, that's got to be Brian. And I turned again and there was no one there. And I'm like, okay, I'm losing my mind. This is crazy. Uh, and then I saw it again, once again, standing by my side. And I could see him in the corner of my eye, but not when I looked directly at him. And I, and I looked and no one was there. And this time I said out loud, all right, whole, I see you. I don't know who you are, but I see you. And it stopped. The next day, two of them came up behind me. It wasn't just one. It was reinforcements. One, and one of them was right by my shoulder. And the other one was kind of giving it one of these. Like he was like kind of looking around towards the front of me. And I jumped and I turned and looked. And of course, no one was there. And this time I said, I don't know who that you are, but I can see both of you. And bam, they were gone. And then, you know, it never happened again. The weird part was the faces on these guys was pixelated, just like I was watching them on TV. But they didn't, you know, but but yet I could they both had on blue shirts and navy blue shirts and khaki pants. I You're said, a best buy. I said, you look like Geek Squad coming to check me out. What the hell is this? But their faces were pixelated. I couldn't see the detail of their faces. Their bodies were sharp and clear in my in my vision, but in my side vision. But when I looked directly on them, couldn't see them. I don't know what that is, but I saw them. And I don't think I was supposed to. And I think the reason the second day happened was because the first guy goes, is she seeing us? <laughs> It never has. It's never happened before, and it's never happened again. Wow! And I don't know what it means, but you know, later on when I talked to my remote viewing friends, which I used to play on some website, I can't remember what it was. They used to have games that you could do that were training, okay. you know, for for remote viewing. And I used to be pretty good at it, but I don't know. My old brain is getting a little crusty and stiff, but. Russell Targ made a um, uh, an ESP what he called the ESP trainer, and you can download. I think it's I think it's available on Android, but it was initially only available on the iPhone. And it was you know it's a simple process of you know doing the guessing, um, and and getting fine tuning your consciousness to focus on the little things and to not get caught up with everything else that's going on um but the, uh, there's there's a boatload on youtube that will take you through both controlled remote viewing or C crv uh as well as associative remote viewing which is in fact what they use to do the bob lazar session um which is a, a different approach in tasking their viewers with data um but there, i mean there's extended remote viewing um uh, there's about five or six different versions of it depending on which way you want to go but it's all a, a, a protocol it's all a methodology of getting you into that mental state that can happen instantly you don't have to be in a protocol or be trained to have those experiences, which is what I think, Deb, you're, what you were just talking about, it, it, it can happen instantly without even knowing that it's that it's that you're doing it or that it's being done to you or vice versa. It just all of a sudden you have that experience. 
And uh, I want to just say, I have always, always believed every single word Bob Lazar said. Back when I saw him on TV for the first time, I think he was with um, George Knapp. George Knapp. And uh, I mean, it was like the, the late 90s, maybe. I mean, it's been a long, long time. I can't remember when they came out, early 2000s. But the very first time he was on TV, I listened to him speak and I watched him. And I turned around to my friends that were with me watching. I said, that man is telling the truth. Every single word of his, out of his mouth, he's telling the truth. And, yeah. you know, I have never, I, I'm not trying to brag or anything like this, but I learned a long time ago that when my being tells me something, I listen to it. And the more I trust it, the better it gets. And I don't, I've heard people say all kinds of things about Bob Lazar over the years, but I believe and always have, and I don't care what anybody says, that man is telling the truth. That man was exactly who he says he, he is. He was. He's exactly who he says he is. I can guarantee it with every fiber of my being. I just wanted to tell you yeah. guys. I've caught some flack for that over the years, and I don't really give it. So, so I, I met Bob. Was, I, really I met. Care. I met Bob before he went to work out in the desert. I met him through John Lear. And, you know, the, the way, you know, and I've, I've said this on a couple other sites, but, you know, the way I met Bob Lazar was sort of a long process. It was the first week of January, 1989, the Air Force had announced the existence of two stealth programs, you know, the F-117 um, on the 11th of November and the B-2 on the uh, 22nd of November. So I called up, I called up Lear and I said, Hey, I'm coming into uh, Vegas. It was like the first week of January. I said, let's, let's see if we can find an F-117 because they just announced the existence of it. So uh, I fly out to Vegas. You know, John picks me up where uh, no, I pick him up and we're heading up us 95 to Tonopah and we're just past uh, Scotty's junction about 15 miles. And an F-117 flies across the road at about 1,500 feet and about crashed the car. So we got to, I got to Tonopah, grabbed a quick bite. And I'm, this is before digital cameras. So I'm shooting, normally I shot Kodachrome slides. And that takes a week to 10 days to get them back from processing. Photo, Matt. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> all right, these, are, these are Kodak mailers. These went to Kodak to, in, in, to, Lima, oh. to Peru, Peru, Indiana. Yeah. And I had, uh, I had my, I had a Nikon. I'm shooting Kodacolor 100, a very fine grain uh, color, you know, color print film. And we make, and we go into Tonopah, we grab a quick bite. We head east on US 6, you go about 14 miles and the big huge sign with blue lettering, Tonopah test range has a nuclear weapon on top with a, uh, a B-43 with a Nike Ajax booster. And you go down 18 miles to the main gate. Now I'm a retired master sergeant, so I can get on most bases, but not ones that are restricted such as TTR. So Lear and I, we drive down the, uh, the fence line, going down about two miles and you're looking down, you can see the whole facility. And I look to the north and there's a little black fuzzy ball with a white light underneath it. And next to it was a smaller little yellowish 
bluish ball with a light underneath it. And I said, well, that has to be uh, an F-117 and a chase plane. And as it's coming up, as it started to fill up my viewfinder in my Nikon, my body is reacting like I'm a 10-year-old boy that's seeing a naked woman for the first time. My my body is vibrating. I can't stop vibrating. I don't know. I don't know if it was 60 cycle or 40, but it was, I mean, it was it was terrible. And I didn't know if I had any good prints. So I'm up shooting, you know, shooting the daylights out of it. Go finish the roll of film and he's he's past me and he's on this, you know, his uh getting ready to touch down and look at Lear said, let's get back to Vegas. He said, Well, we won't get back there in time to go to a photo mat. And if you have white hair, even if it's covered up, you know it, or some hair, uh, uh you you know what a photo mat is. And they've been taken over by coffee baristas now, but they were a little yellow, orange, and red uh, building in a parking lot in the middle of, of a, uh, in a shopping center or whatever. So we, you know, we had uh, east on uh, US 6, we get to uh, Warm Springs, that's the northern terminus of the extraterrestrial highway, Nevada 375. We head south and we, you know, about 80 miles and you know, stopped a little alien for a quick bite. And then we head back to Vegas and we're getting there. It's, it's, it's going to be after nine o'clock when we get there. And I know I'm going to have to wait two or three days to know if I had anything that turned out that, was, that wasn't blurred. Even though I was shooting at 250th of a second, my body was vibrating so hard. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get in between some of the shakes. Uh, so uh, we blast on down and, and we get to, we get to uh, Vegas. It's about 10 after nine. And uh, Lear says, you know, I have, a, I have a new friend just moved here from Albuquerque. He's waiting for his you know, clearance to be upgraded. He's interviewing for a job out in the desert. He doesn't know what he's going to be working on, but he's going to be interviewing a job out in the desert. So you know, about 10 minutes later, there was a knock on the door. John goes to the door, brings this guy, this guy in. Nice looking guy, very soft spoken. He introduces himself as Bob Lazar. And doesn't know what he's going to be doing, but he had been with Sandia. He was in nuclear weapons development. And uh, you, can, you can tell just by his demeanor and his conversation, this guy is smart. And he is, my dad had an IQ of 175 plus. I know what it's like to be around a genius. So I'm, I, I finally got, I was telling him about uh, our adventure earlier that day and that I have uh, shots of the F-117, but I don't know if I'll ever, you know, if I'll, I won't be able to see him for a couple, two or three days, because I got to take it to a photo mat. And he said, well, you don't have to do that. He says, I have a C-41 processing unit at home to, you know, keep, you know, to keep me occupied and earn a little bit extra money. I've been processing film for, uh, for real estate agents. Hmm. So, okay. So we jump in his car and we're about a block from Lear's house. And he looks at me and he says, I feel sorry for that dumb son of a bitch Lear. I said, what do you mean? He said, friggin' idiot believes in UFOs. I mean, he's from this world famous aviation family. My God, his dad brought, gave the world Learjet. And he, and he, and the son of a bitch believes in UFOs. He says, I'm a nuclear physicist. If I can't prove it mathematically or put my hands on it, it doesn't exist. Well, a year later or 10 months later, uh, 
he was a silhouetted head talking to George Knapp by the name Jared saying that he was, he was hired by the Navy to do uh, reverse engineering on alien spacecraft. Now that's only part one. Part two, I'm in the Pentagon during Desert Shield and Desert Storm. I'm a tech sergeant. I'm an E6. I have Lazar's W2 in my back pocket. I've been carrying it around forever. And uh, I, had a, I had a down day, so I'm on the computer and I'm looking for the specific department of the Navy that paid Bob. Because I had his W-2. No such, no such name of that organization. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to find something that's close. And I go to Naval Investigative Services. I think that was it. It's 30 some odd years ago. So a lot of dead brain cells up there over the last 30 years. <laughs> So the doors open. I go in there as a young Lieutenant JG. And I said, sir, can you tell me where this Department of the Navy is located? He looks at it. He says, Sergeant, excuse me for a second. He gets up. He goes into the two stars office. He's in there 15, 20 seconds, comes out and said, the Admiral will see you now. Now, those of you familiar have worked with the Navy, no two star Admiral is going to talk to one, an enlisted puke, but, but even worse, an air guard slash air force enlisted puke. So I, I, I that just sort of blew me away that the admiral wanted to talk to me. And I went in there and gave him a real sharp salute. He doesn't say at ease. He said parade rest. And he's, he's literally shaking. He has Lazar's W2 in his hand. He said, Sergeant, I don't know where you got this. But if I ever see your face cross the threshold of my uh, office ever again, you'll be the most sorriest son of a bitch in NCO in the United States military. Do you understand me, Sergeant? And I said, yes, sir. And with that, he said, you're dismissed. And he puts Bob's W-2 in the shredder. I did an about face and I went, whoa, that was an experience and a half. <laughs> wow. And now you couple that with everything else that's come out and the, uh, uh, the events of this, you know, that uh, were laid in my lap here in the last couple, in the last day or so of the remote viewers. That's really, really powerful. Bob is who he says is. And I spent, I spent a couple of days with him earlier this year. And he is, he is the most easygoing. He's, uh, I don't, I know, I know his wife drinks. I don't, I don't know if he does. But he's, I mean, he's, he's a gentle person. He's a gentle soul. And you can tell just, you can tell how smart someone is without them saying anything, just by their body language and what they do. And um, he has all that. And I, and like Joy, his wife said, he said, Jim, you are always welcome here because you stood up for, for Bob when no, when a lot of people didn't and i said well i have you know my gut feel told me that day i met him that this man's real now i've never i haven't had that type of intuition dealing with women since i've been married a multiple bunch of times <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh uh he's yeah he's he's who he says he is and i don't know what it is but there's going to be an event, hopefully before the end of the year. And I've been told that uh, I will know it 24 to 48 hours before it happens. And it'll either shake 
the world to its core or it'll be a total disaster. I said, well, that gives you a lot of, a lot of wiggle room. What is right. it? And he won't say, Wow. Uh, but I will get a, I'll get a heads up, but he's, he's working with a, uh, a gentleman out of Montreal and uh, it's, it's whatever it is going to be, it's going to be real significant. And I, and I wish, I know bits and pieces, but I, I promised him other than, you know, I'm excited about something happening. I, uh, I have to keep it to myself, but I really don't know what they're going to, what they're going to do or what they're going to show, but it's, it's going to be a presentation of some sort. And I don't, I don't know uh, exactly where it is. Now we were talking about, and I, you know, I'm also a talker, by the way, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> had no idea i know i know especially, especially with robert i mean uh he has to beat it out it was good i'll say something damn it you've been sitting there uh, i have re i have remote viewing in my family my mom is 100 percent sicilian my sicilian grandmother angelina cardinale um, and my grandfather salvatore bruno he, he moved from Sicily, he moved from Isola della Fama right outside of Palermo in, in 1901 and moved most of the village. He's a fisherman and moved to the San Francisco Bay Area. He's up in the San Joaquin, Sacramento Delta area in, in the, the nasty little river town. I mean, it's a southern river town in California. It's called Pittsburgh, California. And all that stuff is gone now. I mean, that, this was back, you know, over 100 years ago. And they would go up to him. Nano was in charge of all the Sicilian, Italian, and Portuguese fishermen from San Francisco to uh, San Pedro, San Pedro in, in LA. And every year he'd go up for five months to Alaska and go salmon fishing, you know, you know commercial fishing. And one night, and this, this had to be in the early 20s, early to mid 20s, uh, my grandmother woke up in the middle of the night screaming, Papa has fallen overboard. Now, if you're in a fishing boat and you're, you know, say you're anchored, but you're, you know, you're, you have your, your nets out because the tides are really incredible there. They can, they can go up to 15 knots going out or coming in. It's 40 to 40 is a 60 foot tides, depending on the time of year. If you fell overboard, the water is so cold, it's in the 30s that uh, you're going to suffer from hypothermia really, really fast. And they have no way of catching you. And you're in your fishing gear, so you have heavy boots on. You probably have, you know, uh, you know, rubber boots and maybe a, a, a long, you know, long sleeved shirt and maybe a jacket. Because even in it snowed, it can snow any month of the year in Alaska. But Nana woke up, you know, I'll say three o'clock in the morning, screaming. Papa had fallen overboard, and all five of the kids are in there. And he said, but she said, but it's okay. He caught his foot on the on the net. So Nana wrote down on her calendar when he fell in and where he fell in. She saw it happen. Two and a half months later, when they get back, Nana says, uh, yeah, you're almost a widow. She says, yeah, I know. So what do you mean? She says, you, you, you fell overboard. You fell overboard and you caught your foot in the net. Wow. Did someone tell you? I said, no, I saw it happen. So I know I have that capability in my family, at least in my DNA. Um, my mom could predict earthquakes. She said, you know, what? 
it feels like earthquake weather. 24 hours later, I mean, within 24 hours, we'd have an earthquake. Now, she didn't get 100% of them, but absolutely every single one she said we were going to have, we had. Wow. And I, we, we were about four miles from the San Andreas Fault. So, but she said, you know, it feels like earthquake weather. And sure as shooting. And I've been in some big earthquakes. That was... Uh, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at that here in a bit. <laughs> yeah. That is the most fascinating. That the remote viewing piece is the most one of the most fascinating things I have ever had a chance to. I mean, just how in the hell they do that? But then when when you look around and I, and I look at what some members of my family have have uh, visualized long distance. Uh, I think we only we only know about that much, and one of these days, if it goes like that, it'll probably blow our minds. So, okay, someone else's turn. <laughs> Lala, I feel like human beings about, are. Oh, sorry, Lala, you haven't said anything. You just, I'm enjoying. This is great. Yeah. What What'd you say, Dev? I just I was going to say I think human beings are magnificent creatures that are completely unaware of their capabilities. Uh, sometimes, honestly, I have been into recently the manifesting part of things. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you a quick story that I know sounds absolutely insane. I know it does. And I wouldn't tell just anybody, this, but I'll tell you guys. Well, we're not just anybody. I well, it all started when I read this book called E Squared by Pam Grout, uh, and I started to do her exercises for manifesting and how to. It's like controlling myself, my mind, and not just saying I want things, but actually living it as as if it's happened now right. or happening or whatever. You know, just it's changed. Not just your thought, but your feels and stuff. So, and I practiced the first few little exercises and little things happened. Like I got a phone call that I wanted and I got an unexpected check for like $30 in the mail from an insurance overpayment from like two years ago, you know, <laughs> stuff that I didn't even realize I was out there. Right. And, and so these little t tests, these little practice things that she was doing, you know, and we had just bought this house uh, here at the, we just moved from the farmhouse and gotten this house, this little downsized and moved closer to my job because all the kids are gone now. And um, the move ended up costing a lot more than we had anticipated that it would. And then other things came up that uh, our insurance company were being a-holes and they're like, if you don't get a new roof and, uh, 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 you know, on this house within X amount of days, we're not going to insure it, but there was nothing wrong with the roof. It didn't leak and it looked good. Um, also, um, we knew we were going to need a new air conditioner and a new furnace because this was old, but it was working, you know, but then started having some issues. We'd only been in the house for three months. So I was highly stressed about, I worry about things too much. That's my, that's my thing. <laughs> so, uh, and I was laying in bed one night, I had read a little bit more on the book, laying in bed. And suddenly this feeling came over me. It's like, well, hell, go big or go home. You know, I'm going to do this. So I went to my, I got out of bed, went to my office, 
quieted myself down, put myself in the position of having already received these things. And at some point, I don't know how long I was in the bedroom, I yelled out, I want a new roof, a new furnace, and a new air conditioner. And I want it now. And I felt so good about myself. And I thought, you know, that I went to bed and fell asleep and didn't think anything else of it. 36 hours later, a tornado came through our town. <laughs> and my house was the only house in the neighborhood that was completely flattened. And uh, as it turned out, I had better homeowners insurance than I realized they were ac excellent. And they rebuilt me an entire new house. Oh my goodness. Oh my with, a, with a new roof. With a new roof, a new furnace, and a new air conditioner. And I was telling somebody about it and they were laughing at me. And I said, I know it's crazy. And I, I, I don't know that I really did that or not, but it just seems so weird that it happened that way. And she said to me, you probably did, but next time you ask for something, you need to be more specific because the, <laughs> the energy out there doesn't differentiate between, I mean, it takes the short, shortest path to two points. So to just wipe out everything I had, and then I got another one. <laughs> My husband's like, don't do that again. <laughs> but uh, I mean, so I, and it's weird. I was, we were in the house when the tornado hit too. And we were in the closet in the bedroom. And that was the only part of the house that was left afterwards. Wow. And well, that falls into the category. Be careful what you ask for. You might just exactly, get it, right? <laughs> I know. Be, that's what my my friends, my husbands are like, okay, now if you ask for any other stuff, you need to be really specific about the delivery system. <laughs> because, I mean, so when you said something about manifesting, I, it reminded me, oh, that happened. It's a funny story. I, it's crazy. You know, I feel like I've manifested other things in my life. I feel like human beings are powerful we are capable of so much more than we remember and uh sound is really important for some reason vibration and sound is really important to me right now the 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 sound that i that i expose myself to and i mean down to the music i listen to or whatever mm -hmm. the words that people speak everything that creates the vibration around me Mm -hmm. I, I'm mindful of because it, it affects me physically and mentally, you know, I mean, I'm going, uh, but this is all stuff I've come to on my own for the last 40 years of being grown into this. And I didn't come into this wanting this. I was just trying to live a life and all this crap started happening to me and I had to figure out a way to, to live with it. You know? Well, that's, that to me is one of the most important aspects of learning is the organic nature of learning. You know, you can go do the books and you can do the studies and, and those things are great for guides, but we all are teaching ourselves um, whether we realize it or not. And that's why, you know, one of the things I say about myself is I'm an autodidact, which is, someone who is self-taught and that's what we all are in reality whether we go to an institution and have mentors or anything else we are seeking the information that we need 
and we are teaching ourselves and and i'll just i'll end my little participation on this panel with with this thought going back to the consciousness aspect and the fact that everything comes from consciousness consciousness creates the reality that we experience it creates the materium and it does that through energy and energy has all these different attributes of of frequencies and frequencies that we have telemetry to measure and tools and toys that we have designed so that we can see the unseen. Um, but we have all these, we have these senses that we use to um, engage with and interact with the material side of our experience or, you know, the five senses and then there's the six and then there's seven. But the idea is that consciousness is constantly in motion. It is always moving what we would consider forward, but it's always in motion. Its inherent nature using energy is creation. Its consciousness wants to create. That's a part of its inherent nature. That creation is, this, is the sense of the novelty, something new. So when you have people who talk about, well, is there free will or not? Well, free will to me is the act of consciousness creating and, and creating novelty, creating things that are new. The energy in, that comes from consciousness that is displayed in all these different frequencies is how consciousness creates new, how it's always moving and it's always in a cyclical form and nature of movement. So free will is the act of consciousness creating something new because that's its nature so we're always seeing something new um one of the things that jim's heard me go on about is i was a part of that uh, new age craze that was going on in the 90s and there were two aspects of it that really got my goat one of them was you got to go find the one you have to go seek the one you must become one with the one you must go find the one. This one? Yeah, yeah that one. <laughs> <laughs> and and every I know that was coming, it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's easy to it's easy to find that one because there's a whole bunch of people offering the one to you all the time. Yeah. But the in reality, the one is not out there, the one is within. The one is you are the one. We are unique signatures and frequency stamps of consciousness. So we are up because we are created by consciousness. So that frequency stamp is our uniqueness of consciousness. We are the unique uh, signature and frequency stamp of consciousness that makes who we are. So that we are already the one we are. There is no seeking it. There's only connecting with it and through realizing that that's what you are. The second thing that really got my goat was the whole idea of you must be in the now. You must be present. You must be in the now. And the more I tried to find the now, I realized that the now is not there at all. We are always in the next. We are always in the future. We are always thinking and being the next. The now is the fleeting past. The next is where we are because that's how consciousness in this 
constant motion of creation of novelty is always function. You can never be now because now is next. So once you realize that the one is within and the now is the next, then all of a sudden you can start sitting back going, okay, well, what's happening now? What is the flow of the next? Where am I in this relationship of the frequencies of consciousness? And what is it revealing to me? Oh, gee, I just got a download. <laughs> I just got a spark of, in, of inspiration. I just had an apparition. I just had an encounter. And you, all these different experiences are a part of the way that consciousness works. And it's extremely simple, yet it is, in all of our sciences, known as the hard problem. Because no one can explain consciousness, yet we all experience it. So that's my my last little uh, fleeting geezer geek thought for the for the evening is that it's all simple. It's not as complex as everybody makes it. Um, and once you realize that, then the manifestations that you're talking about, Deb, those things happen as a natural part of connecting with consciousness and saying, ah, I want to move my energy and, and I want the energy to manifest into this for me. And then all of a sudden, life becomes a lot more interesting and a lot less confusing. That's my opinion. And, and one, one of the reasons I enjoy this community so much, the moment, the moment I first spoke with, to Robert, and Science Bob is the same way, and most everybody else that I've connected with, we transmit and receive on the same frequency. There's no question about it. There's people I've met. And they may as well be just a chunk of concrete because there's nothing, absolutely nothing. There's no energy coming from them. You know, they're there, but all they're doing is taking up space and uh, using oxygen that I need. <laughs> um, but so many people in this community, there's, there's a, I mean, it's, it's probably because of the way we all think and the way we transmit and receive information, we're on the same channel. You know, we may be we may have different programs depending on the time of day, but you know, you know, we're you know we're on you know channel one or channel twenty-five or whatever it is. It's and it's those people that I connect with, and that's why I feel so comfortable in this community, and I really do. And I enjoy it. Okay, there's there's one or two jackasses, but none of none, hey, none of you hey, on you know, tonight's uh, program. Speak for yourself. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no. This has been really nice. Thank you so much, you guys. It was. Yeah, it has. It's been a pleasure. It, it has been a pleasure. It has been a lot of fun. And uh, anytime, Lala. No, thank you. Yeah. Thank and, you, everybody. And Deborah, any last words before we go? Just thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. And, you know, I just, I really enjoyed myself. Meeting new people. I love it. You're not the only crazy one in the bunch, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm so happy. Yeah. We're all from the and same. Ladies and gentlemen, that's right. And from coast to coast and around the world, that's a wrap. And we'll call it a night and Godspeed. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for attending the show. Good night. We'll Take see care. you. Take Bye -bye. care. Bye -bye.